Hello, welcome to Fun the Recruit. My name's John, and uh, this podcast is our post Burnley home game. Yeah, it was nil nil, and it wasn't particularly pretty. Uh, we're going over to uh, Vicarage Road where Mike, Colin, and Jason had a chat after the game. But this podcast is going to be about that game, uh, but uh, definitely a podcast about remembering. But today was uh, a day about remembering uh, a legend in Duncan Wellborn who we will speak about, uh, as well as speak to his grandson who we've uh, we got to got in touch with. A hero in Tom Sawyer, who was remembered at half-time today. And, of course, the greatest uh, today was about Graham Taylor. But let's go over to uh, Colin, Jason and Mike at Vicarage Road. Over to you, boys. Yes, thank you, John. I'm outside a cold and frustrated, I think it's fair to say, Vicarage Road. And I'm uh, my name is Mike and I'm joined uh, with Guy by Colin. Good afternoon. And Jason. Hello there. How are we doing, fellas? Now, <sighs> we'll get to the game. Actually, we've probably done enough on the game already, haven't we? Um, we'll get to the game later, but there's only one place to start, of course, today. We're outside the Hornet shop, just uh, uh, an arms, um, a stone's throw away from the, from the statue of, of the great man himself. It was the, the Watford marking, if you like, of two years of, of Graham Taylor's sad passing. And the tribute at the start of the game, it's a simple one, isn't it, Colin? But I think it's very fitting. Yeah, it's lovely to see the, the rookery and the whole ground, in fact, with everyone holding their scars up. It is quite a spectacular uh, thing. It used, to, it used to happen, really, when I was a kid, it happened every game when, when, the, when the team came onto the pitch. It's, it's much rarer now. I, I guess lots of people don't have scarves and scarves and all that sort of merchandise slightly fallen out of fashion. It's all about the shirts now because they cost a million pounds each. But um, it's just, it just looks really good when you see a, a terrace or a stand with everyone standing up holding their scarves aloft it just it, it looks like football to me it does it's a, it's a bit old school and I think I think GT would approve Jace don't you he would have done and what was quite nice as well was that uh, some of the Burnley fans held their scarves aloft as well and it, yeah and it was quite an emotional start to the afternoon on what was quite an emotional day there, there were lots of other things going on a few a couple of other tributes it was a fitting tribute it still it still hurts doesn't it it still does hit, hit you in the feels when you you know they played uh, raining in my heart graham's graham's favorite song and you knew what was coming you knew there's going to be images on the big screen there was a lovely montage that the, that the club played and it does still hit you like a bit of a, a kick in the guts that, uh, that that graham's gone but i think what's what's great is just the way watford do deal with these things i think they've very much got their they've got the tone exactly right um, they allow the fans to do their thing and, and as you said Colin I think the, the simple um, the simple action of holding up scarves around the ground it's an, a simple dignified yet visually quite spectacular display <laughs> impactful <laughs> all those things it's just a shame that we're going to be last on match today and so no one's going to see it but um, I, think, I think in a week where Sean Dyche has said some things that uh, have upset us uh, each individually personally about how he feels that Watford have somehow lost their community spirit or they've lost their kind of family thing actually that's a load of nonsense and I'm very disappointed in Sean for saying that because he's been part of his club as a player uh, as a coach of the under 23s and, and as a head coach and for him, to hear him say something like that it just really upset me and it annoyed me because it's so not true we've got a stand named after Graham Taylor we've got a stand named after Sir Elton John we've got a statue of Graham we have days like today where it's kind of it's partly the club organising it's also partly fans forum saying come on lads bring your scars make sure we do but it is, it, we are a family club we are a community club people in Watford support Watford mostly and 
and um, and we're at one of the peaks of our history at the moment, the fourth season in the Premier League, and uh, it, it upset me to hear that. And, but just because it's so not true, and it's yeah. bad that 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 sort of stuff gets out because people go, oh yeah, Watford are owned by the Italians; they don't care about their community anymore. It's just not true. You know, we we are we are a club that is based in our community, but they have a days they have a bunker which I you know which is a fan run uh, kind of common room which is supported by the club, licensed by the club. We have a, a days where uh, players turn up in the park and sign things for kids you know a lot, a lot of clubs don't do this stuff and we do and so I'm really proud of that I'm really proud that this, we're still remembering uh, GT two years later uh, it is emotional I watched the, the tribute video on the BBC uh, website and, and it, 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 you just remember all the things that he said and all the values that he brought to the town and to the club and to us as individuals so yeah good day a fitting display at the start of the game then um, the game didn't quite live up to it you mentioned Sean Dice there Colin so let's get him out of the way now Jace we picked up on his comments in, in the week do you think that was a little bit of mind games I think it was a largely positive article actually wasn't it he did with the, with the Burnley Express I think he has got fond memories here in the, in the main but there was that he can't help those little jibes can he he, he does and he's he's quite good at the mind games thing isn't he we, we see him do that a lot and uh, yeah and he'd set the team up today to, to spoil to to ruin to just to, to stop our skillful players being able to to play their game and it worked for them it worked for them I, the game itself i thought we caught them cold we started really well we had two guilt-edge chances that we really, really should have scored. Disappointing that we didn't. And then I noticed after that, I think it was Ben Mee talking to Dyche on the sideline. There was a bit of bit of chat going on and, they, and something changed. I'm not sure quite what sure they were doing differently. One thing I did notice, I think, it looked like Jack Cork was dropping deeper whenever we were sort of trying to get the ball up quickly to Troy. They were putting two men on him quite a lot of the time. And all of a sudden, we we stopped playing and, and they were getting more of the ball gaining in confidence and I think we needed half time bar the, the great chance that Troy had uh, which was unlucky great save by the keeper but it, it looked mostly Burnley for the rest of that first half I, don't, I think you're right I think we did catch them cold and I think there's obviously that great great start on to come to you Colin on that on that chance but for me it felt like um, I think there was a Ashley Barnes went down in the corner you guys were in the rookery I was in the Elton John today I had a good view of it and he was being hassled by the corner flag and you knew what was coming and he just collapsed like a pack of cards it didn't even look like he's fouled he just dived and he did it again later so a pretty poor form from from, from Ashley Barnes I, I thought throughout and I think that he leaves um, he leaves Sean Dyche in a bit of a, a quandary a bit of a Trumpian style quandary because Dyche is out there sort of moaning about diving left right and centre but for every time he says that there's a vid- bit of video clip of Ashley Barnes um, and his rather difficult uh, relationship with, with gravity but I thought that that was a that was a changing point there was a there was a a momentum shift after that it's probably about 15 minutes in uh, and there's a few meaty challenges came in and after that and I thought Burnley really took over they, gra- they grabbed the game by the uh, short and curlies they, you know a meaty game like that suits them suits their players more than it does us but Colin what I wanted to mention to you we were together at Palace last week almost a carbon copy with the start we had a great chance early on Delafeu threw on goal and it was his last touch wasn't it just before he got to heat and that, that let him down yeah I mean <laughs> What can you say? Strikers don't take all their one-on-ones, do they? They, they don't, because Heaton is a very good goalkeeper. But when you've got that, that much time to pick your spot, you should score. He's, just, he's playing up there alongside Troy. He's one-on-one with the keeper. He had, he had about 10 minutes to score that goal, it seemed to me. The, the defenders couldn't keep up with him. They couldn't, he, they couldn't uh, handle his pace. And he got in on Heaton. And he took too long. 
all, he, he didn't take long enough. It was one of those things where you think, either you're going to go for the keeper, draw him out, go round him and score, or hit it early where, where the goal is big and he's stuck in, on, his, on his line. And he didn't do either of those things. He was indecisive. He's not, clini- he's not clinical. But to be fair to the boy, he does get in those positions quite regularly. He has, seems to have an early chance every time he plays. And um, one at Palace, but, you know, he hit the post. Uh, and so it's frustrating because I think if we if we go one up after three minutes, it, it puts them in a different position. But the real, the really disappointing thing I thought today were two things. One, we got sucked into playing the sort of football they wanted us to play, and we weren't able to bring players like Delafer and Pereira and Cleverly into the into the game. Uh, and, and play the football that we like to see and the, and the football that we like to play and the football that's been successful for us we weren't able to do that we got stuck into a kind of heavyweight boxing match which is bad secondly because Decore wasn't playing and we maybe talk about that later he wasn't even on the bench so one worries a little bit about that we had Kapu and Cleverly in midfield and what happened was that as we as that 50 minutes passed and they started to put pressure on us Kapu because I guess it's just a mentality thing he starts to drop deep and in fact he was playing behind the two centre-halves at times which left Cleverly incredibly isolated and so we were overrun for the second week in a row by a team that had three midfielders on the pitch or they seemed to have three or four midfielders on the pitch and they were harrying us and they were hassling us they were closing us down and we had one player in there who's going I, I can't do it on my own where are you where are you Etienne where? and the wide players were wide but we weren't getting the ball to them so they needed to come in and help out and it became just a terrible scrap one that we were definitely losing and I think in the end to be fair it didn't really change that much in the second half uh, the Deeney one was was a good save he had a second half second to, to, to pull the trigger Deeney he, he hit it clean but he just went straight into the midriff of Heaton so that was unlucky but in the second half it didn't really change and I think in the end I would say we come out of that all right really with a nil all draw a point because we could easily have lost I agree and Jace Colin mentioned Decore there and I think all the, the perceived wisdom in and around Vicarage Road was it, it was a genuine injury that's why he's not in the in the squad at all today can you pinpoint why Watford turned in a performance like that today was it the, the lack of Decore we, we certainly missed him what, what Decore brings to the side is that he can move forward with the ball Tom Cleverley great box to box midfielder and you saw him popping up at the back up front but he's not he moves well off the ball he doesn't carry the ball with him he's very much sort of more of a give and go and a lot more sort of industrious than, than Decore Whereas, yeah, and, and we were missing that we didn't have someone that could take the ball and drive through the middle of them and cause them panic they, they knew that we were having to go it was either going sort of long to Troy that they sussed out early or yeah trying to get it wide where it, it just wasn't wasn't working for us perhaps Kapu could have done that I mean, Colin quite rightly said that he was getting too deep perhaps cleverly could have been the one to sit a bit deeper and give Kapu a bit more licence to, to run with the ball because we have seen him do that uh, at times for Watford but yeah it, it, for me missing Decore was a, was a big factor as well as the Sean Dyche spoil, spoiling <laughs> tactics the fact that we didn't have someone that could sort of cause them problems stretch them a bit that and that made us suffer. Perhaps an unwelcome glimpse into the uh, the post decore uh, world of Watford. I wonder myself whether whether Will Hughes' absence who was uh, played a factor today because I thought he had the the bit between his teeth um, early on at Palace, and I think he is someone that can carry the ball and is is aggressive as well. So John isn't here unfortunately. He's uh, he's at home looking after his family. He would want nay demand that we came up with something positive about that game we've just seen there. I thought Kapoor's performance was, was good, yep. particularly in the first half. I thought he sprayed the ball around quite nicely. He's still working hard, even yep. though it's very cold. Agreed. Uh, sorry, just to go back to a slight negative, the thing that disappointed me a little bit was when 
we brought on Isaac, who's just walked past us. There he is, big lad. Uh, and actually, actually, I thought what we needed was Queener on the pitch. We needed a central midfielder that could get the ball and control it and help cleverly. Uh, and then we could play our football. And maybe then, if we had 30 minutes left with Queener on the pitch, we could have maybe got those three midfielders working so that we could get the ball up the pitch and, and, and create some chances. So we didn't really create many chances. Positives are hard to come by, I think. I, I was impressed with Kiko today. I thought Kiko had a good game, um, both defensively, running back, covering the, uh, the centre-backs who had their moments. But also, he was he, the Kiko we know and love going forward, trying to help Delefeo out. Yes, yeah, certainly helped Delefeo out when he uh, moved out to the right and, uh, and Big Ken as well. Back to Big Ken today, I think, rather than Ken Zemar. Yeah. Uh, and also, Britos coming on. He did all right, didn't he, when he came in? There's one great clearance, sort of flicked yeah. away with and the he outside. Put head, he, he put his head in where it hurts as well a couple of times, didn't he? So, yeah, that was good. For me, I think I think Kapoor was great again. I did. I do think he played almost a captain's okay. role today, and he, he feels like the senior player. I was watching some old clips that have been on rotation on Sky, and you, you realise how long Kapoor's been with us, and he's starting to grow into that senior pro role, and I think he took that on a bit today, and was kind of, there was a lot of gesticulating, a lot of shouting, a lot of pointing, and you know, any of us can do that, but you know what I'm getting at, he's trying to, trying to take control of the game. And I think um, I think we have to give credit to Ben Foster again today. I think you know Burnley didn't create masses. I think they probably had one chance where they blasted over from from sort of six yards out when the ball came loose. They were offside a lot, as you said. They didn't offer uh, offer a great deal. But when they did challenge with um, with the occasional corner and set piece, he came and does what he does: cleans everything out, makes sure he gets the ball first, and gives the referee a decision to make about whether it's going to be be a foul or not. So I think credit to, to Ben Foster again today in front of, behind what looked like a shaky defence today. I mean we've talked about Craig Cathcart and I'll use this phrase you know our defence sounds a bit championshipy, but without him I thought we looked a bit a bit rocky today we definitely did we definitely did I'm a little bit worried about um, Roberto Pereira mm-hmm. he, he doesn't seem to be putting in the sort of performances that he was putting in in the early part of the season he, he, I don't know whether they've they just double team him or they muscle him out he doesn't challenge for high balls he doesn't really go in for tackles he's, he's gone back to the sort of Pereira that we saw at the, at the beginning of last season where he was he was a little bit ineffectual at times and he's been kind of anonymous in the last few games he wasn't great at Palace he wasn't great here again uh, against Chelsea and Newcastle and, and I just worry a little bit like what's going on with him where's the intensity gone where's the where's the, the movement and the skill and the, and the way that he, he was influencing games in the early part of this season that seems to have gone on that does worry me a little bit I, I, I wonder whether it's the Torino talk or whether it's just he's, got, he's, he's playing with a slight injury and he's a bit worried about his body I don't know but it's just he's not as effective uh, as he has been and I, I do worry a little bit about that the other thing about bringing Isaac on is when they brought Isaac on Burnley just licked their lips they were like that's exactly what we want you to do we want you to knock high balls in so that our defenders can clear it what they're terrified of is pace in behind and, and balls in behind so that the, the strikers can run on them and score goals so yeah it's a little bit I feel a little bit frustrated I think we got a nice point we're still in seventh apparently so that's good but this was an opportunity you missed for me and I think we, we, should, we, we have better players as you say Mike every week we, when, we, when we play news we've got better players than them we've got a better team we, we've got uh, more skillful players we should win these games and today we weren't able to get across the line and that is disappointing and frustrating A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end Back to the lads in a bit uh, to talk about passing of a, of a Watford legend, Duncan Wellborn. But uh, Mike's surname is Parkin. Uh, he has a son called Arlo. And this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, 
Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Nil-nil then yesterday. How do you feel about a draw? OK, because at least we get a point. Yeah, absolutely. So the question I wanted to ask you today, would, would you take every remaining Watford game this season to end in a draw? I think that would mean we'd end up in about ninth place in the division. Would you take that now if we offered it to you? Mm, yeah. What about if every single game was a nil-nil draw? Boring. But would you take it? No. Let's go for those wins. Yeah. Thanks very much for joining us, Arlo. Bye. As we mentioned, it was a it was a day um, awash with emotion. Really, not only was the uh, was it the Graham Taylor Memorial Day, if you like, but also we marked the passing of Duncan Welburn, and we'll talk to we'll talk to Colin about that shortly. But also, it's been ten years since the again the untimely death of uh, Captain Tom Sawyer, who was a, uh, a a big Watford fan, and there was a, a big contingent of his family here today to to mark that sad occasion. And and another example of Watford getting things right tonally, they gave almost the entirety of the halftime over to to what was a really moving tribute for from his family, wasn't it, Jason? It was uh, amazing, and um, I, I mean, you, you've got a. Off your cap to uh, uh, to Tom's dad, who read uh, a prepared speech in front of twenty thousand people when emotions were, were sort of running high for him. I'm sure, very tricky. And and, and again, what was great that certainly where I was in the rookery, everyone was standing up and paying attention and, and listening to, to what he had to say. And, and it was a lovely words. And again, all about community. He, yeah. he talked about Tom's pride in not only the football club but in his hometown of Watford and it is a, a lovely thing to hear and a lovely thing that 20,000 people in the in the stadium were standing and, and listening to, to attention and got a fantastic and well-deserved round of applause at the end and again when he walked in front of the rookery the rookery stood and, and applauded the whole family as they as they came past and what must be a very difficult thing for them to do in front of in front of all those people yeah I think it's, t- it's times like that that, that bring football and sport and, and, and the things like this that we do into very very sharp perspective but it also does um, make you realise how powerful football can be and when it, it, given opportunity to, to pay a, a tribute like that to um, to a family member is an absolutely fantastic thing he spoke incredibly well and again it was an emotional half time, you could hear a pin drop um, as that speech was delivered and it was great to have that opportunity to hear about his life and to spare a thought from him and, and a bit of celebration really of his life as well so that was a, a poignant um, an important moment but of course before the game another emotional moment as as the clubs both clubs paid tribute to to Duncan Wellborn now he was obviously well before well say obviously you might look at me you might not 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 know but <laughs> but before my time the, the coach is just going off without Jeff, Jeff Hendrick he's l- late as always sorry sorry about that Jeff um, but um, so Duncan Melbourne, yeah, he passed, and there was the, the minutes applause before the game. His family were in the in the director's box, which was which was a nice touch by the club. And what was what was noticeable as soon as that announcement was made, the outpouring um, on Twitter and social media of just how important Chopper was to a, a lot of fans. And you know, he had he had hero status uh, uh, among a certain generation, didn't he? Yeah, well, among my generation certainly, and and, and the generation before me, uh, he played in the he joined the club in '60 which was uh, the year I was born and he left when I was 11 so he was here for 11 seasons and uh, he started off as a wing half in the old WM system which uh, basically was like a wing back really where you, you tried to get forward but then once Furphy started to play once English football started to play 4-4-2 he was converted into a right back we don't really have players like him anymore there's two stats about him that we should we should mention which really uh, solidify his sort of legend status so he he played 457 times for, for Watford in all, in all competitions and, and held the record really 
I think until Blissett overtook him he took it off Tommy Barnett who was a player in the 20s and 30s so I think it was the 20s so he had that but he had this other stat which is absolutely astonishing and it's it's it's, it's when you consider that it was a period with no substitutes so none of these appearances are substitute appearances he played 280 consecutive league games that means he got up every Saturday and he played every game for 280 games which is I don't know what like four seasons or something um, he never missed a game he must have played with injuries and aches and pains and so on but he was always there and he played it right back and he was a hard man he was he was a, a no-nonsense defender he was a tough guy and I was watching this this morning I was reminding myself and I watched the 1970 Cup semi-final against Chelsea which was played on a sandpit which is a joke really Can't you, and, and it's one of the reasons Chelsea won I think because we just got tired in the second half because you try and run on sand for 90 minutes it's, it's, it's hell and he played it right back and he was captain that day because Keith Eddie couldn't play and, and that again shows how he was, how the esteem he was held at, at the club, because he was key captained in in what was our biggest ever game to date in 1970. Not a game I was at. My family were at it. I was considered too young. And when you look at the crowds and the surges when the goals are scored, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> but um, uh, and he's on our legends flag. The 1881 have produced this legends flag, and he's on that. And that and that and then the reason he's on that is because he's held in such high esteem as a no nonsense defender, a leader on the pitch, uh, a consummate professional who played 457 games for what. For 280 of them were consecutive uh, and in a way you, you, that is his legacy you don't really need to say any more about him I, he was uh, I never met him but he was uh, uh, considered to be a, a very uh, polite and dignified and, and, and uh, a nice man he was he was uh, he was I suppose you would say he was uh, a role model as many of those players in that team were, it was an amazing team. They got promoted to the second division for the first time in the club's history. Players like Scullion and Garbit and Endine, and he was part of that crowd. Uh, and then he, when he left us, because he fell out with Mike Keane, which, I, as far as I'm aware, is not that difficult. It wasn't that difficult <laughs> thing to do because he could, could be quite miserable, Mike. And he went back to Southport. He went up north. He was, I think, he was from Scunthorpe originally, but he went to Southport where his friend was managing, and he he, t- he took on a coaching role there. And, uh, and and then he went off and lived the rest of his life. And he came back, and he was he was inducted into Watford's Hall of Fame. I don't know which number he is. He must be quite one of the early numbers because yeah, yeah. it was the first inaugural year, so he was probably two or three. It was great that the club uh, remembered. He's one of the sort of first real legends that has passed, sort of from my lifetime. So, yeah, it was it was excellent uh, seeing those tributes and seeing the, his face up on the on the big screen. Yeah, seeing seeing some of the stories that have, that have come out this, this week, it seems like he's he's one of those guys that people could relate to, and he was almost like a bit of a hero figure for a, for a lot of Watford supporters in their infancy of watching watching Watford. Something that they they hooked onto really yeah and in the build up to that semi-final there was a lot of talk about Wellbourne versus Harris the two choppers <laughs> and what's going to happen and there was there is a, a magnificent tackle in that game which is not against Chopper Harris but it is against Eddie McGreedy who was the uh, the opposing fullback. and uh, yeah football was different back then I watched it and I was expecting to see quite a slow game well that wasn't technically very good but you know that that game if you watch the semi-final Chelsea versus Watford it's almost like it that game defined what it what it means when people say oh it was like a cup tie because it was pell-mell. The tempo was ridiculously high. Players were flying into each other. The referee wasn't giving any fouls. But it wasn't dirty. It was, it was a completely clean and honest game uh, in a way that we don't really see quite so much now. We see people, as, we, as you mentioned earlier, see people throwing themselves on the floor, putting their hands up, trying to get other players booked by raising their hand. And in that game, if you watch it, a second division side that was struggling in the second division against the top uh, first division side, what you see is an honest game of football, an honest sport with men running into each other, 
and pulling each other up, patting each other on the head, shaking hands when they score goals. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm almost getting to the jumpers for goalposts. Yeah, again, again, me and Jason rolling our yeah, eyes a little bit. But, here, but if you watch it, it is, it is, it is, it is a different game. It's a, it's a different sport than it is now. It's, there, there isn't so much rolling around and. Yeah, it's it's admirable, really. It is a it is a decent game. It is a different game, and and Watford have lost an important part of their history. And John got to speak to Duncan Wellborn's grandson earlier in the week, just to get a, a little bit more of colour and a flavour as to uh, as to his life. As today we celebrate the passing Watford legend, Duncan Wellborn. We saw him as a legend. We saw him as uh, you know this this fantastic footballer who did lots and lots for our football club. How what, what was, what's your memory? What kind of a man do you, did you know him as? It's difficult to explain because um, if you know him personally, you know he's a, he's a bit of a character. To fair, just growing up, he's he's always been a bit old school. He's uh, he's very straight to the point. He, he doesn't beat around the bush sort of thing. Yeah, he's he's got a one-off personality. To fair, I don't think anyone can replace it. I don't think I've ever come across anyone like him. But he's a very down-to-earth guy. He's always had time for me, my mum. Uh, my uncle, um, my sister, especially my sister, um, he had a lot to do with my sister growing up. She used to go up to Preston and live with uh, him and my grandma for weeks at a time. And he's just a very like family orientated man, really. He's, he's a good man. It's a shame it uh, came to an end so soon. But those, those valleys of family certainly ring true with with Watford um, and and the, and the club. So you yeah, know, he was a uh, you know we know him as a footballer. Was was that quite? I mean, how how old was he? I suppose when when you knew him, was he sort of in football when you first were born? Well, I'm 22 now. I don't know. Oh, okay. No, no, it would have been way after. Yeah, no, I've, I've never known him in football. Um, I've only. It's one of the reasons that like. I think football's so big in our family as well, like my mum passing it on and like getting me into football. But I've never known him in the football world. And I said I didn't know how much of a big player he was for Watford. So. Was he still a, an avid watcher of football for, and, and follower of football? And... Yeah, on the team. Well, every time I used to go up to Preston and um, see my grandma and him, we'd always watch the footy on the TV. He'd always tell me about moments of him at Watford. We always had a joke because my position was striker and... I always used to say that he didn't score many goals. So when we saw it on the TV, I always used to say that to him. <laughs> <laughs> and and did he ever really talk about Watford at all, or or did he? You know, he was part of of many clubs as most footballers are. Did he sort of talk about Watford specifically? Yeah, constantly. Always. We that's usually what the conversations um, revolved around. To be fair, because it was his life. It's it's all he's ever known. So I think he loved Watford. He's practically the only club he. Um, play for apart from obviously he's on Scumpop and Grimsby's books but now Watford was his life he, he loved it that's uh, I think that's the main thing he was so loyal and they were so loyal to him and it's a big part of his life and I'm sure it'll always stay within the family so you get the game tomorrow or who's, who's yeah going? the um, the club have sorted us out um, tickets in the director's box which is a nice touch got to set off at uh, 8.30 in the morning to get there um, <laughs> it's about a three hour drive from Scunthorpe but no I'm looking forward to it I've never been to Watford's ground so it'll be nice to see the game and the sort of reception he gets from uh, everyone but yeah I thank the club for that as well for sorting that out so you, you put the news out on Twitter how was your reaction for the rest of the day? Was it surprising? Was it what you thought? As I mentioned before, I, I didn't. For me, I just saw him as a um, like he was a professional footballer back in the day, sort of thing. I knew he hold like a record for consecutive games and that. But when I put um, the tweet up and then Watford rang my family to confirm of his death, um, I remember it was on. I, I think I posted it around dinner time. I was sat at work and I put my phone in my drawer, got it out about three o'clock and. Jesus, the, the, my phone had exploded. He, 
I think I had hundreds and hundreds of replies and messages and people saying he was a club legend. I think that's when it really hit and we'd seen it on Sky Sports, we'd seen it on BT, Talk Sport, our local telegraph. It, the support is incredible and it's obviously the fan base really did appreciate what he did for the club and I know he appreciates everyone that's uh, gave him support over the years. Like you say, the people over 50, like the... They say that if they was to do like a um, team of now and then that, it'd be in a lot of people's squad. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that I fancy myself as a good football player, but I don't think I'm winning in that. I'm better than him on this side. <laughs> I'm sure there's uh, some genes being passed on somewhere along the line. Yeah, I think so. So it's getting, I think it's gone down another five degrees since we first started recording the podcast. No one's feeling happier about the result, but um, we've got a break now, a break from league action. Colin, you're th- thinking about going up to Newcastle. Um, Jason, what are your thoughts, St James's Park, after the result today? We've sort of laboured to a, a draw against Sean Dyche's anti-football. How should we be viewing the FA Cup as somewhere we can sh- throw the shackles off, get our I, mojo back? Yeah, I, I think we can. We played well at Newcastle in the league, obviously didn't take our chances, <laughs> again we've got an opportunity to, to have a good run in the FA Cup um, a few Premier League sides have, have already gone sort of uh, by the wayside in the third round so yeah they're, they're, with some favourable draws and some uh, some good results we could we could go all the way to Wembley and uh, yeah so I, I'd like to see us take this one seriously I'd like to see a uh, uh, a strong starting eleven, maybe one or two changes and then some of those may be enforced because of the, the injury problems we've had today let's take it seriously let's have a good run in the cup opportunities to play some people into form Colin I'm looking at perhaps Isaac Success who struggled again today thought Ken Semmer looked a bit out of sorts do we give those those guys who are on the yeah. fringes is the wrong word but semi-regular first team players do we give them a start up then yeah I think so and I, I, I think we'll see Chalabar uh, he clearly needs to play some football and get his head right and get and, and, and put in a decent 90 minutes so that he, he when he goes to the manager's office and says why am I not playing on Saturday when we play Spurs or Brighton or Everton in the future uh, he can point to the fact that he's had a, had a decent game because he's not had a decent game yet he, he's played okay he played okay against Reading but since then we haven't really seen anywhere near the best of Chalabar I think Queener will get a game I expect Wilmot will play as well because he, he's definitely keen on Wilmot and wants to bring him on whether he'll play at the back or whether he'll play in midfield I don't know but yeah no, no Isaac you know Isaac is a, is, a, is an honest lad isn't he? he he works hard he runs he's he's not the best at the moment he needs to, to find a bit of form but um, I think Newcastle will play an unrecognisable side because obviously they're in the middle of a relegation battle so it's not important to them as was proved by Cardiff and Huddersfield you know going out of the cup because it's just not what they're thinking of but they're thinking about trying to stay in the Premier League and you can't blame them for that so yeah we've got a good chance it's all about the draw isn't it You, you can afford to get one tough game that you might be able to win like we beat Arsenal in the quarter final that year but before that we played you know we played championship teams and, and hopefully we, we, we can we can continue the run so a hiccup today but no reason that we can't go on um, and get a visit to Wembley I'm not talking about a trip to see Tottenham yeah. a visit to Wembley and a decent rest of the season I think we'll we'll get over this Jace won't we oh yeah absolutely we've, we've had little blips already this season and we've got over those there's no reason why we can't get over today we're too good not to in Harry we trust come on you horns.